Hey, the kids are dismissed for kids' praise, and uh, we'll be in chapter 7 of Matthew uh, this morning, starting in verse uh, 13, I believe. Matthew 7. So you have your Bible or Bible apps, you can open up Matthew 7, and actually we'll be starting in 15. Uh, Pastor Jeremy uh, talked about 13 and 14 last week. Uh, 15 through 23 of Matthew. Um, As I began, I I remembered uh, going with my family one holiday time, one summer around 4th of July. We went to a concert in a place called Chautauqua Institution, and we have a picture of that up there. Is that not working? Oh, it's working? It was really dark that night. (laughs) Anyway, we had a picture of Chautauqua Institution up there and uh, right there can envision it and it was a big gated community um, of arts and religion and philosophy and and so it's near my home in western New York and we went up to uh, this concert I can't remember who the artist was but it was a famous famous artist we gathered together as a family hour away we drove and parked the car walked to the gate and we stood in line and Who's got the tickets? Well, Paul's got them, my brother-in-law. Oops, he forgot them, forgot them at home on the table. And so we tried to reason with the, um, the person at, at the office there, and, and they said, no, you need your tickets. Sorry, can't do anything about it. This was long before cell phones. And so we're stuck outside. And uh, anyway, uh, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. So Paul went back home, it was an hour away, and we waited for an hour, but if it were a longer trip, two-hour trip, for example, then we would have just driven home because it wouldn't have been worth it. We wouldn't have seen much of the concert at all in this big, huge outdoor amphitheater. Well, there are only two responses that we'll encounter on Judgment Day, one day. And the first will be Matthew 7, 23, depart from me, I never knew you. The second would be Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. One of two responses we'll hear on that day, face to face with Christ. Depart from me, I never knew you, or enter into the joy of your master. Well, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we read, do not judge. Do not judge or you'll be judged as well. In what ways are we not to judge by way of review? Well, just a couple of the ways that we talked about a few weeks ago. We can't judge one's eternal destiny because only God can do that. Only God sees one's heart, final moments, etc. We we can't make that judgment call. God will one day judge fairly. And and a second way that we can't judge is by looking down on others, deeming them unworthy of God's approval and love because of their lifestyle or whatnot. We can't judge others like that, like the Pharisee and the tax collector, look down on all those sinners over there because we, apart from God's grace, are no different. So we are not to judge others. Instead, we're to love them. And, but not to, to not judge others does not mean that we can't discern right from wrong that we can't discern truth from untruth when we're trying to lead people away from lies, when we're trying to help them, or when we're trying to protect others from the lies of what they're teaching. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly 
They are ferocious wolves. And did you notice that Jesus called them ferocious wolves and false prophets? How did he do so without judging them? Well, Jesus was Jesus, and he was all-knowing, first of all. But secondly, he told us in verse 16, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every tree bears good fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be eventually cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Well, how can we discern right from wrong? Yay, it's up there. How can we discern truth from lies? How can we help lead others away from lies into the truth? We can do so by being accurate fruit inspectors. That's not judging, it's inspecting the fruit of others. Sometimes, though, it's difficult to discern the fruit of others because some, something can look really good on the outside but on the inside be rotten. Like we've all bitten into an apple or a piece of fruit and it was rotten. And you bite it, ugh, it's rotten to the core and you spit it out and it tastes rancid or sour or whatever. Or you bite into it and there's a worm in there and, and there's, nothing, there's only one thing worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm. It's biting into an apple and finding a half a worm. Thank you, Lonnie Bruce, for that word of inspiration after the first service. Well, how can we be accurate fruit inspectors then and discern truth from a lie from others, in others even? We need to discern the fruit of one's words first and then attitudes and then works. Words, we need to listen well to people. People can say all the right words yet be lying out their teeth. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, who's in heaven. Lord, Lord, hints of an intimacy with Jesus, but God says, I see the true state of your heart. Isaiah 29, we just got done worshiping. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, God sees the heart. And so if we listen to people, then eventually we'll be able to discern where they're coming from. Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It flows from the heart. Now sometime, uh, sometimes one's teaching can seem so right, so loving, so accepting, so non-judgmental, but it can be packed, filled with lies from hell. For example... Those who say, there is no such thing as absolute truth, truth that's the same for everybody. How dare you tell me that my truth is wrong? How dare you contradict my truth? My truth may not be right for you, but it's right for me. And who are you to tell me? You know, that type of thing, right? Oprah Winfrey was an expert communicator. She did a lot of great things. 
on her show. I remember her giving away millions of dollars worth of items to those who were struggling, and it brought tears to our eyes, and we loved Oprah. Yet Oprah lived her life, at least during that time, by a false spirituality. I know because I heard her words and what she taught. She promoted an author named Eric Butterworth in the day, and his book was called The Truth of Divinity of Man. And Butterworth says this, well, no, Oprah said this, the book changed my perspective on life and religion. Eric Butterworth teaches that God isn't up there. He exists inside each one of us, and it's up to us to seek the divine within. And then Butterworth gives a little bit more clarity. He says, the message of the Gospels has been misunderstood. They have been made to appear to say that Jesus was really God taking the form of man, you know, God becoming man. It fails to catch the real theme of his teaching, that really, we're, we're God. We have God within. Oprah offered the readers in her record-breaking magazine this nugget of truth. No one knows your truth better than you. Take time to consult your inner guide, then trust your inner guide. Trust it. So it sounds almost true. It sounds almost non-debatable. Like there, there's something amiss there because the devil disguises not truth from the lie. He, he disguises the, the truth from the almost true. That's how he always is. That's what makes him so deceptive. It's almost true. There's nuggets of truth. There's remnants of truth. But there's something amiss. Well, in an interview with Christianity Today, Oprah's pastor of her upbringing rightly discerned the fruit of Oprah's words when he said, she's broken with the traditional faith. She now has a sort of God is everywhere. God is in me. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of the body of believers. I can meditate. I can do positive thinking, spirituality. It's a strange gospel. It has nothing to do with the church that Jesus Christ founded. We need to discern the fruit of one's words and their teaching by listening carefully. Second Timothy, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, yes, yeah, that, that sounds right. Oh, yeah, we can't judge any. We, we can't, dis, you know, oh, we need to accept everyone just as they are and discern the fruit of one's words. Secondly, discern the fruit of one's attitude. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll know that someone is walking with the Lord and knows the Lord when they demonstrate this, these character traits in their attitude, in their demeanor. Are they kind? Are they gentle? Are they patient? Are they peaceful? Regarding the first fruit, love, he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love, what is it? It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It forgives. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and persevere, always perseveres. In other words, it always gives the person the benefit of the doubt when you don't understand or when you're, you misunderstand them, right? Is the person regularly filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Or are they filled with another spirit, the acts of the flesh? Paul continues in Galatians 5, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Check out these attitudes. They have hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition. They live for self. Dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to discern the attitudes, the fruit of one's attitude. And then thirdly, we need to discern the fruit of one's actions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. If you're around a person long enough, you'll be able to clearly discern what they value by their actions and their attitudes and their words. Are they pursuing the will of God or are they pursuing the will of self? Do they typically live to please themselves? They wake up every morning, how can I succeed? How can I prosper? How can I get ahead? How can I be entertained? How can I, 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 everything is surrounding me and what I want to do. That's the fruit of one's actions. The fruit of actions. Galatians 5, the act of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, dissensions, factions. Matthew 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. The word ferocious here is ravenous. It means ravenous. But it's translated five times in the Greek. Four times it's translated as extortion. One time it's translated as ravenous. But the words are linked. In other words, extortion, one who's ravenous, will take something from someone by force. In other words, these people are takers. They're not givers. They're focused on self, not others. They're pursuing the almighty dollar above all else because of what it can do for them rather than to be generous toward others. We need to discern the fruit of one's actions. But as I mentioned, fruit is not easily discerned on a tree because sometimes the tree's not in season and you don't know if it's going to bear fruit or what kind of fruit it is. But the same is true for people. Sometimes discerning fruit in one's actions or words or attitudes, sometimes it takes patient prayer for discernment and wisdom to know whether this person is walking with the Lord or not. Matt, Mark 13, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on guard. Man, their works can even... Um, they can even um, 
contained false prophecies and healings and deliverances. They can have all these powers. Reverend Sun Young Moon, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, he just died in 2012, he appeared on the surface, uh, on the surface of our world, and he deceived people and led millions astray because he was a man of peace, a man of wisdom, a man who came up with these quotable quotes. And, uh, but if you happen to be in his present presence for a period of time, you discern that he's not all what he's cracked up to be. For example, in 1973, he involved his congregation in an unusual rite called blood separation, where female, all the female members of his church of thousands and thousands were required to have sex with him in order to be cleansed of, from Satan's influence. In order to transfer his godliness into their life. It was called a blood separation, which is very interesting for the Church of Unification Church, which taught sexual abstinence. Huh. Well, both his teachings and his practices would contradict God's word often. You know, if a church member opened, if a church opened in town, and there were miracles happening and healings and prophecies and, and deliverances taking place, then I imagine a church in town would become a mega church like in two or three weeks' time because people would talk and they'd hear and they'd go and, whoa, this is amazing. But we got to be careful. In verse 22, we're told, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? In your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. That's crazy. Well, we looked at how we can discern in others potentially in order to protect them and to lead them to the truth or protect them from spreading lies and falsehoods to others. And that's, that's okay to do that, as opposed to judging them. We're inspecting their fruit. But let's look at our own lives in conclusion. How we can have our own assurance that we will be saved, have eternal life, and that God's truth resides within us. A good friend of mine from seminary wrote a commentary on Matthew. His name's Pastor Steve Hickey. And in this passage... He coined three words, not coined. He used three words, believe, achieve, and receive. The first two will not give us assurance of eternal life. The last one will. Believe. He started out with believe. It's a profession without obedience. It's head knowledge. In other words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many profess to believe in God. Good. Most Americans believe in God and Jesus. Uh, James tells us, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. A head knowledge and belief in God and Jesus will not give us this assurance of eternal life and salvation. For example, if you were on, went on vacation for a month and you were to have someone come and house sit at your house, and so you, you'd leave them a long list on a page um, indicating 
the assignments, the instructions, what they must do. For example, be sure to feed the dogs, water the flowers in the garden, mow the lawn and water the lawn if need be, make sure the toilet in the basement's not running because it tends to run, take out the trash every Wednesday, load and empty the dishwasher, uh, the friend promises that he will do everything that's on the list. He reads it through carefully. And like a Boy Scout, he states that he will always be prepared. You can count on me. And then one month later, you return from your vacation. You pull up to your house, and you notice that your, your lawn is dead. It's brown. And you notice the flowers have wilted. And you go inside, and you notice that the garage is piled with trash from the parties he had. Dirty dishes are piled in the sink and on the counters. There's food and trash on the floors and table. Plants are dead. The backyard garden's wilted. The basement bathroom is flooded. And the dogs are nowhere to be found. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I let your dogs out, but I guess I forgot to let them back in. Did you not read the sheet that I left you, the instructions? Uh, of course I did. Here it is. I, I read it. I highlighted it. I asterisked. I, in fact, I memorized it. Well, that's nice, but did you do it? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. John put it this way, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. James said, faith without works is useless. It's dead faith. It's not biblical faith. Believing the truth without obedience is not biblical faith. We will be a living contradiction. We will be making false pro professions. We wouldn't ever say to our coach, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, or our boss, or our instructor, and do the opposite thing. A false procession says, Lord, Lord, but does not do the will of the Father in heaven. So are we consistently doing the will of our Father in heaven? Do we begin each day by saying, Lord, I belong to you. Thank you for a new day. Lead me where you will today. If you're going to work, Lord, use me at work to be a light. Like, like uh, Jacob prayed, Use me to proclaim your glory, your truth, your good deeds, your, your good works, Lord. Lead me today. I'm yours. Give me God appointments. Let me walk according to your will today. Not my will, but your will. Believe means that you have head knowledge with no obedience. The second false profession would be achieve. It means you have good works only with no relationship. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, what do you mean? Did we not do this and do this and that and this? and that? Achievers strive to do more and more good works. Live a good moral life. Volunteer for things like the Red Cross. Humanitarian efforts. They're generous and they think that by doing so they will earn God's approval. This is what Islam teaches. This is what every other religion teaches, by the way, other than the grace that we find in Christianity. 
It says what Muhammad Ali said when he was asked about what his faith meant to him. And he replied, it means a ticket to heaven. One day we're all going to die, and God's going to judge us, our good deeds and bad deeds. If the bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, you go to hell. If the good deeds outweigh the bad, you go to heaven. I'm thinking about the judgment day and how you treat people wherever you go. Help someone through charity, because when you do, it's been recorded. And God willing, Allah willing, that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. Is that the gospel? No. If we were to see these extraordinary deeds, prophecy, miracles, again, deliverances in a church on a Sunday, many would conclude, man, the Spirit of God is really there today, or in that church, but we got to take warning because people like Judas cast out demons. He laid hands on people and prayed for their healing. Judas Iscariot, Luke 9, 1. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And they returned glorifying God and saying, whoa, this kingdom of God stuff is amazing. And Judas was amongst them. But these works did not guarantee their salvation. Mark 13 tells us, for even false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. You know, some people are way more interested in um, what God can do in them and through them than they're interested in building a relationship with God. So what will give us assurance? Receive, Not believe alone, not achieve, but receive. That's relationship along with obedience. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is, what is the Father's will? In John 6, For my Father's will, Jesus said, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And as, as I said so many times, believe is more of a dependence. It's more of a reliance upon, a clinging to. And this looking on the sun, it pictures back in the Old Testament when uh, Israel got bit by poisonous snakes and they were all dying in their camps. And so Moses, I think, was instructed, or Joshua was instructed to put this brass uh, serpent up on a stick and they were to look up at this bronze serpent and they'd be healed and so they had to go and they had to do that if they wanted to be healed if they if they were to conclude that's stupid I'm not going to do that huh? that's humiliating then they would have died well that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us on the cross by becoming sin for us on the cross we need to look to the sun and we need to say I need you Jesus, I, I need you as my Savior. I want to live for you as my Lord. I need you to fill me and change me. That type of reliance is what biblical belief is. Not a head knowledge like every other American believes. You know, we're a Christian nation after all, right? A guy went, wanted to win the jackpot and the Powerball, and so he prayed every, before he bought a ticket every time, Dear Lord, you know i got to pay off my house. I'm going to lose my house. Please let me win this lotto. Please. 
And so weeks went by, and of course he lost again, and someone else that was announced won. And so every time throughout his life, he'd, he'd, he would go and he would play the lotto. And finally a blinding light from heaven came down, and the Lord spoke, Joe, Joe, you got to meet me halfway on this one. Buy a ticket. Buy a ticket. Our part is we need to receive the Lord. We need to declare our, acknowledge our dependence on him. And our salvation is step one of a lifelong journey of dependence and abiding in him. Many believe that Jesus, they believe in Jesus, but they've never received him. I've talked to many people who are raised in the church and I listen to their testimonies and they say, I didn't know Jesus for years and years and then finally, my, I turned my life over because my, my world was a wreck and I surrendered my life to Jesus and, and man, he came in and I got to know him for the first time and my life was transformed. A lot of people can go to church and not know Jesus. Churches today are packed, filled with people like that. Because receiving means a relationship with Christ and obedience to him. Thousands of college students gathered together in uh, uh, Kankakee or somewhere, Illinois, Urbana, at university there, Illinois University. Um, and, and Lynn and I went one time, and it was just packed. Thousands of students in a submissions conference because these students are feeling a call to go make a difference and, and go make it on the mission field somewhere. And so they just pack it in there, and it's an amazing conference. One year, Billy Graham was one of the, the speakers, and, and Billy Graham preached the typical message that he did, and at the end of his message, he did what he always did, and he offered an altar call for anyone who wanted to receive Jesus, and it flooded, people flooded, students flooded the altar, and they received Jesus for the first time. Those who felt called to go into missions did not know Jesus. They just wanted to do a lot of good things for the world, but they had no personal relationship with Jesus. John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a children of God. Just one more illustration. Marriage is like receiving your spouse as your wife or husband, right? I, I in a sense, receive Lynn as my uh, wife. And as a result, I spent my lifetime loving her serving her, you know, trying to help her, please her, work together, you know? And she did the same for me. That's what receiving is. We didn't say, I do, I do, we're married, woo we got the rings and go our separate ways and do our separate things. It's a relationship. So how can anyone be sure that we'll be welcomed into the joy of our master one day? Final illustration. Michael Faraday, you've heard of him as a great scientist. He was on a deathbed once um, near the end of his life and a bunch of his friends came over, fellow scientists and they wanted to talk about not science, they wanted to talk about what, how you doing, how you feeling uh, are you ready f to die and one of them asked Mr. Faraday what are your speculations about your future and with surprise to them he replied speculations I have none I'm resting on certainties and then he quoted 2 Timothy, For I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. 
I know whom I believed. I've got a relationship with my Savior. I've got certainty and assurance. Are you certain that when you face Jesus one day after your death, that you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you? Or are you certain you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, for I entrusted unto your care the gifts and talents, and you are faithful with them. Come and enter into my paradise, into the joy of your master. For we will be judged not by what we say alone, nor by what we do alone, by, but by who we know alone. So Lord Jesus, as we, uh, um, just like last week, looking at the wide road and the narrow road that Pastor Jeremy so eloquently unpacked for us, I, I pray, Lord, that as we look at uh, now standing before you one day, that we will uh, have complete assurance this morning that we're in a relationship with you. We don't just go to church. We just don't know about you. We just don't do good things for you. But we know you and we depend upon you and desire to serve you every day. And so, Lord Jesus, that's what you long for us. And you long to welcome us with open arms one day. Well done, my good and faithful child. Enter into the joy of your master forever and ever. Amen.